Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg and I'm joined with my co-host David Partain. How are you, David? Well, Laura, I never thought I would see snow in April in Chicago, but we did last night, and I'm so happy. How about you? (laughs) I once threw a Sanco de Mayo party, and it snowed on May 5th for me, so I I have seen this, but hopefully it'll be gone soon. (laughs) Well, we... This may actually lead into the topic we're going to be discussing today, these (laughs) crazy weather patterns, Uh, because today on the show, we are going to focus again on environmental, social, and governance investing, also known as ESG or sustainable investing, with another leader in our industry. Kylie Miller is joining us today. She leads ESG product development and ESG product management for InvestNet PMC's suite of products and service offerings. This includes PMC's ESG-focused managed portfolios and PMC research ESG due diligence. She also oversees ESG and impact data relationships and strategic development of ESG and impact reporting initiatives. And prior to joining InvestNet, Kylie spent more than three years at Sustainalytics. Uh, Kylie is working hard to walk the walk and outside of her role at InvestNet, she is on the team that runs the newly launched website called Sustainable Me. Sustainable Me's mission is to provide people of all ages with digestible and accessible information that they need to connect sustainability across all aspects of their life that are most important to them and to empower a holistic integration of sustainability in their lives. Kylie, we are so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So um, this conversation is the third in a series of discussions we're having around sustainable investing. And our goal for listeners and for us, quite frankly, is to come away with a deeper understanding about what's driving some advisors to embrace sustainable or ESG investing while others continue to stay away from it. Is this the future of investing or is it just a passing fad? We really want to understand how advisors are addressing sustainable investing with their clients and those clients' reactions to the conversations they're having. We also want to learn whether or not clients are proactively asking about sustainable investing and what that looks and sounds like. But, you know, given the regulatory spotlight on this important topic, I need to be clear that while FlexShares does offer some ESG-focused ETFs, not all FlexShares products have an ESG focus. And as always, we we won't be talking about any specific ESG investments, uh, FlexShares or otherwise, in these episodes. And we remain committed to ensuring that the Flexible Advisor podcast is a product agnostic forum uh, to share best practices of how advisors can add value 
for their clients and to offer insights to help you grow the advisory business. And again, you know, without with all of that out of the way, we are so excited to have Kylie on the show today. So Laura, I guess with you having done all that disclosure just now, that gives <laughs> us a real good hint of how sustainable investing, how it has grown in importance. Uh, hello, Kylie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, David. How are you doing? Good. I've noticed that sustainable investing has been a growing focus for InvestNet. Tell us about the evolution of your firm's emphasis on sustainable investing and what your role has been in building this out. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who aren't familiar with InvestNet, we're a wealth management platform that's really evolved into what we're calling a financial wellness ecosystem. So we work with over 100,000 financial advisors in the U.S. who use us for a range of different things, but we're really working towards um, being that end-to-end tech solution, that integrated technology for all mission-critical advisor applications. So up until recently, we've had some tools and resources for advisors interested in sustainable investing. Uh, we have, uh, for example, a values-based screening tool with an optimization engine. We have manager research where we offer ESG due diligence on managers. We have uh, ways to identify sustainable investment products on our platform. And we also have some impact reporting capabilities. But these resources haven't previously been connected and presented as a comprehensive solution. There really wasn't an easy way for advisors to know what to do when their client came to them asking to align their portfolio with their environmental and social priorities. And really, over the last few years, we've seen, as you've mentioned, a dramatic uptick in interest from advisors and investors in this space. There's been an influx of questions from our client base, um, and we're really starting to see broader adoption, and we're we're really seeing that as we track asset flows on the investment platform. So sustainable investment products on the investment platform now represent $45 billion in assets, and those assets grew 80% in 2021. And right now, we have just around 37,000 advisors on our platform invested in at least one sustainable investment product. So we've seen, again, a lot of interest, a lot of questions, but advisors are certainly still skeptical. And there's still the kind of a bottleneck to to wider adoption in the retail market. And so the message that we want to send to advisors is that they don't have to be experts in sustainable investing to be successful here, especially if resources and guidance are really built into existing workflows through technology. So we at InvestNet have spent the last few years developing a set of tools that advisors can, um, it's a four-part roadmap. So it's, it's assess, audit, build, and report. So first, a tool to be able to uh, assess and characterize client preferences, right? So whether they care about climate change or social justice, you know, what issues resonate most, then be able to x-ray their current portfolio for alignment with those preferences, and then be able to build a more aligned uh, portfolio for the client informed by a range of ESG and impact metrics. And then lastly, report on the outcome to really demonstrate how that portfolio is more aligned with client priorities using ESG and impact data and analytics, which is such a key piece, right? So that set of tools, we're really calling the sustainable investment view. And those tools are being built into our proposal and reporting tools on the investment platform and client portal. And it's all powered by ESG and impact data and analytics. 
And then we have bigger plans to then integrate sustainable investing tools into InvestNet's other financial wellness solutions. So, for example, Money Guide's financial planning tools um, and, and also other connection points we've built around areas like alternatives and retirement and trust services, et cetera. Wow. So like I said, InvestNet has taken a growing focus on that. And okay, so when you're not in the the tools business, so to speak, I'm assuming in your role that you meet with a lot of financial advisors. And I'm curious about what you're hearing from these advisors. Predominantly, are they advocates for sustainable investing? Or are you finding that in your role, you need to help educate them on the benefits of it? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I do talk to advisors often. And in those conversations, it's clear that they're starting to get questions from their clients, right? It's clear that there's an interest and curiosity mm-hmm. that their clients have, have read about this in some way in the news or on Twitter, on Instagram, on a subway ad. Uh, investors are, are more aware of this concept that you can kind of align your investment portfolio with how you view the world, just like you can with the clothes you buy, the food you buy, you know, where you donate your money, how you spend your time. So we're, we're also seeing it w- with stock picking on platforms like Robinhood, right? So mm-hmm. people are starting to understand that our capital can be kind of a reflection of who we are. And I think advisors are obviously noticing that shift. But again, they're still skeptical. They're, they're not sure if this is just kind of a hot new thing that'll become irrelevant in any day now. Uh, and they're also hesitant to change. So we spend a lot of time on education and on debunking misconceptions. Mm-hmm. I would say... The top three things that we hear from advisors are, my clients aren't asking about this. I don't want to give up performance. And I don't trust this. Managers are greenwashing. And I would say, I'll give you like a one sentence response to each of these. I think we'll, we'll probably expand on a number of these later on here. But you know, the first is my clients aren't asking about this, right? I think what, what, how we respond to that is investors don't come to their advisor asking for a 60-40 dividend portfolio. They, they come to you with their situation and experience and the advisor gives advice. And so we say, you know, just because someone hasn't asked about this doesn't mean that they're not interested. Mm, the the second, you know, quote is, I don't want to give up performance, right? So this is a very common misconception. I'm sure you both have heard this quite a bit. Um, and, you know, we'll maybe get into this a little bit more, but sustainable investing, we like to say, encompasses a wide range of investment approaches. You can't really bucket them all together. You have to find the right approach for the client and absolutely does not mean that that approach will be concessionary. And then the third is, I don't trust it. Managers are greenwashing. And again, it goes back to this understanding the different approaches, right? Looking under the hood for transparency on the approach, relying on sound diligence of that approach and, and knowing what would be the right fit for the client. So again, those are the one sentence response we'll probably expand on later, later on. But one other thing, as well is that I think that advisors uh, are afraid that they'll bring this up with a client and the client will tell them what they're passionate about and then they won't be able to actually build a portfolio around those ideas. And I think the concern is that the wide range of terminology and taxonomies for sustainable investment approaches is is intimidating, right? And we hear all these different acronyms and terms and, you know, it's sort of like you don't know what you don't know and that there's a lot to advocate. So again, we spend a lot of time on education and awareness. And we also think that this new set of tools that we're rolling out, which again will be built into existing advisor workflows, is going to alleviate some of those fears and misconceptions and give advisors more confidence to have these conversations with their clients. I also think, and I promise I'll 
shut up after this. But um, I also think advisors are realizing that there's a pretty compelling value proposition with sustainable investing, right? So I read this uh, article in the Wall Street Journal the other day. It was rich millennials to financial advisors. Thanks for the golf invite, but you can't invest my money. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so funny. And you know, I just think obviously we're seeing millennials increasingly turn towards self-directed investment tools. They're more comfortable with technology and they've gathered assets in the context of a 10-year bull market, right? So they aren't afraid to take risks. But we all know that this cohort would benefit from a more holistic financial plan. And one way to engage is, is with sustainable investing. And as we've seen, there's power in personalized advice. So I think um, there's a real opportunity there. And I think as investors need to evolve towards a demand for more customized investment approaches, advisors should really arm themselves with a deep understanding of who their clients are, what they stand for, and how they want to really put their money to work in the world. You know, Laura, I wish we'd find people who weren't as passionate about uh, ESG. Uh, can't, can't we find anybody that's more passionate than Kylie? <laughs> we, well, I don't know more passionate, but we've been fortunate to have a lot of passionate people on the show mm-hmm. about this topic. So, all right. So I was writing as fast as I could, because there's a lot of things that were popping in my head as you were talking, Kylie. And um so the on the last topic about millennials and investing on their own, we did a uh, survey here at FlexShares in November of last year, and we're actually going to be doing another one of high net worth investors. We saw exactly the same thing. Um, I can't recall all of the stats, but we'll put a link to this infographic in the podcast so people can download it. But essentially, you know, just concurring with all the things you just said, um, I think it was it was over 70% of these high net worth investors told us that they were interested or very interested in sustainable investing, yet less than 50% of them ever had their advisor bring up the topic. There's also a great number of these investors that were getting their information from the TV and from their own research and investing in accounts outside of their wealth management relationship. So a lot going on and probably not in the best interest of either the advisor or the client who's trying to do this on their own. So we'll share that uh, in the, in the link um, to the show notes, but you know, you know exactly what we're finding. And you talked about, 37,000 advisors are currently uh, at InvestNet investing in at least one sustainable strategy. And so I'm going to kind of ask the same question that we may have asked you before, but do you think that it's those of those 37,000, is it mostly the awakening of those advisors to, I need to do this, or is it more of a push from the clients or do you have any idea? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think to your point, the growth story is, is really staggering and it's, it's been so exciting to witness. Um, you know, I mentioned $45 billion in, in sustainable investment assets on the InvestNet platform up 80% last year. Um, I would say RIAs make up about 35% of those assets. And wh- where we're really seeing notable growth is with insurance broker dealers, interestingly enough. They now have about a quarter of sustainable investment, investment assets on the platform. Um, but, but yeah, you know, you mentioned the stat again of, of 30, 37,000, um, advisors using sustainable investment products. That's up 85% last year. 
Um, and I think it's 850,000 investor accounts are using at least one sustainable investment product. So just seeing a ton of growth. Um, and we actually did a study about two years ago, and we're hoping to update this study soon, but we it found that when advisors allocate at least 10% of their assets to sustainable investment products, they experience lower outflows, higher inflows, and stickier client relationships. And does correlation imply causation? You know, time will tell. But I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, and, and just to your point, I think we, as I mentioned, there's this huge opportunity with sustainable investing. And there's three ways we like to kind of talk about that opportunity. The first is to help diversify your client base, right? As, as you mentioned, um, you know, women, people of color, younger generations are very interested in investing in this way. We've also seen, I'm sure, you know, a number of surveys and stats that say there's actually just widespread interest. It's not just, you know, younger generations and millennials. But um, the other opportunity here is maintaining assets through the wealth transfer, right? We know that most people don't use their parents' financial advisor. And millennials, there's 2 billion of us worldwide. Um, we're the most racially diverse generation. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen the surveys around uh, how millennials are wanting to you know, buy more products and services from companies that treated employees well during the pandem pandemic, for example, the vast majority are interested in sustainable investing. So there's just this ethos shift, right? That I think that there's an opportunity to capture that. And I also think this is an opportunity for advisors to really have deeper, more meaningful relationships with their clients, right? That results in higher retention when, you know, advice these days is increasingly commoditized and, and no two clients have the same values. So that personalization can really act as a differentiator. So to answer your question, you know, yes, I think there are advisors who see that opportunity, but from what I can tell right now, it's still client demand that's really driving this. And the barrier to adoption is, is advisors not, to your point, not bringing up sustainable investing in conversations with their clients. They're currently being very reactionary. And I think we're going to see that change over the next few years. And to overcome that, it's just going to take awareness and education and, and technology. Yeah, and you talked about millennials being the most diverse generation, and I've been reading statistics that Gen Z coming up right behind the millennials are even more diverse. So, you know, mm -hmm. wealth ownership patterns are changing, demographics of the U.S. are changing and changing very quickly. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up, because I've heard it <clears throat> a number of times, along with all the objections that you stated earlier, was you know, it has to do with the polarization uh, of this country right now, unfortunately. And I've been hearing that it's really hard, if not impossible, to get adoption of sustainable products from people in states like Texas or Florida, for example. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any geographic trends in adoption um, through the InvestNet platform. Yeah, and you would think that would be the case, right? That there would be more adoption in certain areas of the country, for example, the coast. Um, and, and we are in the process of doing that analysis. There's been some delay just given the sensitivities with data privacy, but it's something that we're certainly focused on is really providing more insights on advisor demographics and who are actually adopting sustainable investing. We have done some analysis at a super high level and preliminarily found that actually there wasn't a distinct difference in adoption across regions, which was kind of surprising. Um, we, we saw that interest in sustainable investing was actually quite widespread regardless of location. So 
we're looking at deeper into that and the drivers there. So certainly more to come on that. But I think one thing that's been challenging is really just how politicized every issue these days has become and sustainable investing is no different. But the reality is that environmental and social issues are affecting everyone, regardless of ideology, right? Think about wildfires, air pollution, water stress, um, social inequity, automation, the, the increased frequency of pandemics. I think we're all starting to better understand that our systems are incredibly interconnected and, and those systems impact all of us. And I think that framing things in that way when we talk about sustainable investing and the, the narrative around it is really important. So, pun intended, how sustainable do you think the demand for ESG is in the long term, as well as will we all be looking at ESG metrics to manage investment risk, just kind of as a normal part of our investment screening criteria? And then, okay, let's go 10 years. Will we even need to label funds as sustainable for doing that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I love a good pun also, um, actually <laughs> workshopping. <laughs> I'm actually workshopping a blog title right now. It's called Sustainable Investing, So Hot Right Now, Just Like the Planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Working on my puns, David. <laughs> um, but yeah, in all seriousness, though, I, I definitely do not think this is some kind of hot trend. I think it's already deeply embedded into investment management. And I think Maybe just to back up for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, how do we at InvestNet define sustainable investing? Because there are many definitions to, That's true. to this term, right? So we think about sustainable investing as encompassing a range of approaches that recognize, again, to my earlier response, the interconnectedness between environmental mm-hmm. health, social equity, and long-term economic performance. And the range of approaches encompasses for us Values alignment, which is negative screening, ESG integration, which is addressing ESG-related risks and opportunities in the investment process to enhance risk-adjusted returns, and then thematic impact, which is specifically targeting positive impact alongside a financial return. So we see those three buckets as making up the sustainable investment umbrella. And I think thinking about ESG integration specifically, I think we're well on our way to mainstreaming that. So ESG integration, the way I think about it is it's about measuring and managing financially material risks, which is a fiduciary obligation. And when there is new information like ESG information, we need to adjust what is considered material has and will continue to evolve. So this is what we think of as ESG consideration or ESG aware, where it's material um, you know, you could you consider ESG information. So in that sense, I do think that the labels will go away where this information will just be mainstreamed into the investment management, you know, process. But there will there are also investment strategies that pursue more of an ESG focused approach, which is where mm-hmm. ESG information is the core and central tenant of the investment philosophy and decisions are made prioritizing ESG insights. And there's clear evidence of that. And I think the problem is that there's still a gray area on what is ESG aware versus ESG focused. And we at Investment are doing a lot of work to make sense of that gray area and provide insights within our manager research to really make it clearer to advisors what approach is being taken. You know, I think the SEC has has said that very soon they'll be coming out with proposed requirements for investment managers on ESG claims and related disclosures. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but the hope is that it will provide more standardized language and a clearer taxonomy for managers 
to really be able to describe the approach that they're taking. And the reality is we need better transparency and better accountability for managers on their approach. And I talk to a lot of investment managers that are on our platform and they want to give that transparency and speak a common language. They just want the guidance on how to do that. And so we've seen the, the EU, the UK, the CFA Institute, they all have their own guidance and frameworks for how to provide consistency around you know, that transparency on investment products. I think we'll see communication from the SEC soon that will really prompt more rigor from asset managers on, on how their intended outcomes are framed, whether, whether they're focused on ESG consideration for risk mitigation or whether they look at ESG information to identify opportunities, whether they're focused on positive impact on sustainability goals, you know, you name it, but just giving a, a, a clearer common language to these, these different approaches because it, it is very confusing. Yeah, and I think that adds to just the overall confusion with advisors. In fact, the Wall Street Journal ran a series of articles, and I, when I saw them, I immediately sent them to Laura. I said, Laura, this is what advisors are reading, and so we need to address that. And it was these articles were critiquing the merits of sustainable investing. It seems like it opened the floodgates for critics of this type of investing, and some of the objections that they mentioned around sustainable investments, they aren't doing what they promised, or it's a flawed theory that these investments can deliver competitive returns while doing good. You are clearly a disciple of sustainability. I'm wondering if you're hearing more objections recently from advisors due to these type of articles uh, and how you counter those objections. Yeah, I love this question and please feel free to cut me off because I tend to talk for hours <laughs> about this. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was actually on a panel with Gabriel Pressler at Morningstar a few months ago and she came up with this idea that there are two strong and opposing forces in this space right now. The age of entrenchment and loud skepticism. And I really like that. I think that, the, and mm. I think that that's also okay. I mean, people are paying attention and they're asking questions and they're interested. And that's a, that's a win in my book. Uh, but one claim that was made in the Wall Street Journal series and, and one that we hear very often from advisors is you can't do well and do good. You know, I don't understand that concept. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I actually don't like the whole notion of doing well and doing good. And that's because mm. everyone has their own interpretation and definition of doing good. And every investor has their own set of values and belief systems, right? So it, it, it really feels like a blanket statement that categorically simplifies this space, oversimplifies this space. And I think that as an industry, we need to be better, um, we need to better communicate the intention of ESG information. And I think about ESG information in its simplest form as more information about the way that companies interact with the world around us. So how are companies exacerbating, you know, uh, inequality or, or racial injustice? How are companies contributing to climate change? As sustainable investors, we just want a fuller picture of the companies that we allocate our dollars to. And then from there, we get to decide what we still want in our portfolio. So to me, it's like ESG is just a framework for managing externalities, which, which all companies can um, have. And those externalities are either one, benefits for society, which are not fully compensated, or two, costs on society, which are not fully paid for. And I think a major change for companies in recent years is that these externalities 
are becoming increasingly rare. What was once extraneous to a business is increasingly actually affecting corporate revenue and costs and risk profiles. And I think asset managers are developing a much more comprehensive understanding of these externalities. And some of them are incorporating those insights into company valuations. Some are engaging with companies to address these risks. So as with all investing, some approaches here will outperform and some won't. And I think one, something I read recently, um, Bob Eccles, he's an Oxford professor. He's a thought leader in this space. Um, he said, I, I, this resonated so much. He said, done right, ESG integration and investing for impact can deliver outperformance. Done wrong, it will do the opposite. While the shift in zeitgeist from ESG equals reduced return to save the world is a welcomed one, the pendulum swing to ESG equals guaranteed better returns is not. Hmm. And really I just good. really like that. Yeah, yeah. People talk about this in a way that's just too, it's just too black and white. I'll also say another thing, um, you know, a lot of the critiques I've been seeing around sustainable investing are on passive best in class ESG indexes and ETFs that are built on them. So, we, you know, we get the question a lot, why is Exxon in my ESG ETF? And I think if you want to invest in ESG ETF, you have to read the index construction methodology and understand the rules-based approach, what data is going in and what rules are being set in portfolio construction. I think there's frustration that some of these ETFs are light touch and then they're marketed as ESG, but the solution is, is greater understanding and education and transparency about the different approaches to you know, investing through this lens. And there will be the investor who wants there will be the investor who wants low tracking error with broad market exposure and a modest tilt to strong ESG performers. There will also be the investor who wants to invest in renewable energy pure play. So in in this in that case, passive ESG index investments would not be suitable. And I think there's this idea that certain companies are good ESG and bad ESG that I just do not agree with. There's no such thing as a good ESG company. Everyone has their own opinions on that. And I think commentators like in the Wall Street Journal, they've misinterpreted ESG ratings in this way. A decade ago, and I worked at an ESG rating spread provider, Sustainalytics, a decade ago, hardly anyone knew or used ESG ratings. And today, investors and companies and the media and the public all expect them to answer a lot of different questions on, on, companies, on, on company performance. And the reality is an ESG rating should be viewed as more of a sell-side rating than a credit rating, right? It's each ESG ratings provider has a different objective and as a result is measuring different things. So, you know, some focus on evaluating positive impact, some focus on mitigating, you know, risk, uh, some focus on the impact of products and services. So, you know, the onus is on the advisor and, and the marketplace to understand which framework aligns with, with clients um, and, and individual clients. Um, and then just last quick point is the other claim around, you know, regulation will fix these societal issues, right? Taxing and subsidies uh, and that ESG investing distracts everyone from the, the work that really needs to be done. I think, you know, we all know that government action is great, but it's significantly more slow moving. And so we need both government action through regulation and taxation and market action to really catalyze this long term systemic shift towards you know, what we're all calling kind of stakeholder capitalism. You know, I, I, uh, 
Thank you for that. That was so interesting and a great way to look at it. And it just feels like to me, as I read a lot of these criticisms, and I guess I'm just restating what you said, the people that say, you know, these do well and do good, they've got in their head that it's supposed to be impact on whatever, whatever cause they're, they have in their mind rather than, you know, more of a risk abating um, scenario like you put out. Mm-hmm. So, Let's switch gears now and talk about sustainable me. Um, Tell us about what it is, how you came to be involved in it, and why David and I and all of our listeners should head out and check it out. Yeah, so this has been a really uh, recent and really fun project that I've been working on. So sustainable me is a platform for transforming sustainability into a lifestyle. And a, a close friend of mine in the industry, Sheila Wadamar, she's the, the global head of retail and wealth ESG strategy at Morningstar. I worked with her uh, at Sustainalytics uh, a couple of years ago. She, she reached out to me because she had created Sustainable Me and she wanted to know if I would be a part of it. And I really jumped at the opportunity because something that we had talked about in the past is that we work in this space, sustainable investing, and we're so passionate about the work that we do. And that doesn't always translate into other aspects of our lives. And we wanted to change that. So the mission is really to provide people of all ages with digestible, bite-sized, accessible information that they need to connect sustainability across aspects of life that are the most important to them. I mean, I think that there's just so much information out there around sustainability and what you can do. You can just get very inundated with, with all of the things floating around. And we want to help people really map information to the areas of their lives that they want to make change. And, you know, we want that information to be relatable and applicable to daily life, whether it's eating, drinking, fashion, travel, activities, and investing. Uh, you know, right now, what Sustainable Me is is a website that, that serves as a hub for information. And we also use Instagram and, and LinkedIn to connect with others who are interested we did a sustainability challenge last month and asked people to post their actions and tips. Um, you know, we actually hope to make it into some sort of app in the future where people can track their behaviors and decisions and get real-time data on the impact of their decisions. Um, but, you know, more to come on that. But, yeah, we really just hope that people come join our community and follow along and hope that they find it useful as a resource for, you know, this holistic integration of, of becoming more sustainable. Because it does matter, these little decisions you make in everyday life. So my, uh, I think I told you my daughter is in college and she's a sustainability major. So I shared this with her and I think she shared it with the, the whole program. She was super excited about it. I'm super excited about it and, and you know, need to become better myself. So um, thank you for sharing that. And we'll have that in the link. Great. So Kyle. Kylie, that must, um, if she's sharing it around the world, that, uh, there we go. It, that's, that's why we got you on the podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. So you have offered us some wonderful information and it has been a real delight. You are full of passion and energy around this and we love it. And we appreciate having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. So if you are an advisor and would like to know more about the work that InvestNet is doing around sustainable investing, just visit investnet.com backslash impact.
To learn more about Sustainable Me, visit sustainableme.com and that's sustainableme.com. This information will also be available in the show notes. And just to remind you about our past Sustainable Focus podcast, check out episode number 75 with John Hale and episode 73 with Jeff Gitterman. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters. Please remember that all investments carry some level of risk, including the potential loss of principal invested. They do not typically grow at an even rate of return and may experience negative growth. As with any type of portfolio structuring, attempting to reduce risk and increase return could, at certain times, intentionally reduce returns. An ESG investment methodology that includes and excludes issuers and assigns weights to issuers by applying non-financial factors such as ESG factors, such ESG investment methodology may underperform the broader equity market or other investment products that do or do not use ESG investment criteria. An ESG investment methodology will influence exposure to certain companies and sectors. Currently, there is a lack of common industry standards relating to the development and application of ESG criteria, which may make it difficult to compare an ESG investment methodology with an investment strategy of another investment product or funds that integrate certain ESG criteria. The subjective value that investors may assign to certain types of ESG characteristics may differ substantially from that of an ESG investment methodology or a data provider. Not all FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus. For more information on which FlexShares ETFs have an ESG focus, please visit FlexShares.com.